Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Morning, Waukesha Bible Church. Today's reading will be from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, foreigners shall be plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord." They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My, my soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, as the garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. This morning we are looking at Isaiah chapter 61. It's part of 60, 61, 62, a larger section. We'll talk about that. The primary idea that we will see is that you have the pro- proclamation of liberty. When you read this passage, we realize that only God can bring good news to the afflicted. Only God can bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to prisoners. Only God can comfort all who mourn, give to the mourning a garland instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. Will we come to this God who gives to us this kind of liberty, this kind of freedom? As I read and read through Isaiah, I ask myself, well, what significance or relevancy does that have for us today? In today's news cycle, we read read the following headlines, and perhaps you've seen these. Scantily clad witches caught munching on deer carcass in creepy security cam footage. World Bank issues a sobering warning about the global economy. The Ukrainian dam destruction sends prices of crucial products soaring. Fighter pilots share details of what they saw when pursuing plane before deadly crash. A woman tries to hire a hitman to kill wife of man she met on dating site. 
And finally, the military whistleblower goes public with claims U.S. has secret UFO retrieval program. Well, in a world like that, what relevancy does Isaiah 61 have? In a recent poll, 9 out of 10 adults said they believed that there's a mental health crisis in the U.S. today. Asked to rate the severity of six specific mental health concerns, and Americans put the opioid epidemic near the top, with more than two-thirds of people identifying it as a crisis rather than merely a problem. More than half identified mental health issues among children and teenagers as a crisis, as well as severe mental illness in adults. If 9 out of 10 adults believe there's a mental health crisis, then chances are you have a mental health problem. I am all for enabling people with problems finding the necessary help for stability, but money and programming will not save the world. There are organic issues that create and or exasperate mental matters, but the significant contributor to one's mental health is one's worldview. If you have no hope in this life, then you will have a mental and emotional struggle. Life itself is challenging, but life without Jesus is impossible. Does and can Isaiah 61 give us any sense of certainty and stability, both mentally and emotionally, for those in distress? Now, I believe so. And thus, we look at our cultural circumstances, and then we consider Isaiah 61, and we ask ourselves, Is there any hope that we have in this life and then indeed in the life which is to come? Before moving further, let us pray. Our Father, today we gather around your word and we humbly bow before its weight. The world we see is cluttered, it's broken, and it's hopeless. But the world we read of in Isaiah 61, Isaiah 60, and throughout Isaiah is a beautiful and glorious and rest-filled world. And we ask that during this time you would give us eyes of faith to see what is invisible. And it is only in Christ that the realities of what we are about to read in Isaiah 61 shall come to pass. I ask you give to the weary your rest. Help all of us to pay close attention to what we read and where we live. We are confronted by the impossible. We prepare for the battle knowing full well only you can give us that victory. Thus, We bring this morning our intellect, we bring our volition, we bring our emotion to you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would powerfully change our minds, turn our hearts toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been saying that Isaiah, in this section, 40 through 66, is writing to a nation that is either in exile, those are the recipients, the readers of what he writes, or those who are returning back to their land. In either case, they know loss and experience. They've been displaced and removed. They have had loved ones pass. And Isaiah paints for them this picture. But one of the initial questions I'm wanting to ask ourselves is why is the nation in exile in the first place? Many of us already recognize that they have been there for 70 years and they're about to re-enter the promised land. Well, the nation is in exile because they have disobeyed God's law, the Mosaic Code, concerning the Sabbath rest. They had been in the promised land for roughly 800 years. It goes from about Joshua, the book of Joshua, where they are reclaiming the land, or taking the land, rather, until this place of deportation in 586 B.C. And for 490 years, it's marked, for 490 years, they have disobeyed the Sabbath rest. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But the Sabbath rest was not every, just every seventh day, 
but every seventh year. Every seventh year, the Jews were allowed to work the land for six years, but on the seventh year, they were supposed to allow the land to rest. And they would be eating the produce from the sixth year into the seventh, and then into the eighth year as they replanted their fields. Every 50th year was a year of jubilee, so the 49th year would have been a Sabbath rest. Then the 50th year would have been a year of rest as well as restoring, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But if we were to read the word, we would recognize that if you were told as a people that you will work for six years, but on the seventh year you will not go to work, your initial response would be, great. That would be my response. And then if you told me in the eighth year I won't have to go to work either, I would think, great. However, there might come a point where you say, well, then what am I going to eat, especially if you are agricultural? That's what the nation was called upon to do. Will we believe God in the sixth year, rest on the seventh, and believe that he will provide for my need during the seventh, and well, as well as the eighth as I replant the land? The nation of Israel never kept Sabbath rest. They never kept the Sabbath year. And I say that quite confidently. They might have had a hiccup periodically where they did that, but we never read of that in the scripture. We never read that they kept the year of Jubilee. Now, by way of of scripture, you read Leviticus 25 and 26, which we just had read for us, and it speaks of not just the sabbatical year, the seventh year, but also the year of Jubilee, which would be the 50th year. In 2 Chronicles 36, 21, it says, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. So the reason why the nation of Israel was in exile in Babylon was because for 490 years, they did not keep the sabbatical year. As a consequence of that, God took them into exile. And we see this throughout. That same idea is reiterated for us in Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12, as well as chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. So what do we do with this? Well, we know that they are in exile for 70 years because for 490 years, they had not kept the Sabbath rest, so 70 times 7. In addition, they had not kept the Sabbath year for 70 years, and they had not kept the year of Jubilee for 10 times of the 490 And when you talk about a Sabbath year, it meant that the land rested. It would not be worked. So they had to believe God in the sixth year to provide for the seventh year as well as the eighth year. In the year of Jubilee, which happened every 50th year, the land would not only rest, but it would be restored. So if you had to sell your land because of where you were economically, in the 50th year, the land that you sold would come back to your tribe. That sounds pretty crazy. In addition, all personal debt would be forgiven. So whatever debt you had going into the 50th year would be canceled. Wouldn't that be great? Well, we think it would be. It depends on what part of that equation you rest. But what the Jew is supposed to do is trust God. Would they believe God? What is equally interesting about the the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee, the Sabbath year every seventh year, and the year of Jubilee every 50th year. And for a Jew, they might experience once in their lifetime a year of Jubilee, but they would potentially experience the Sabbath year multiple times. In addition to all of that, it is suggested that you have this great Jubilee redemption cycle found throughout. From Abraham to the Exodus is approximately 490 years. And the Exodus is one of these massive moments in the nation of Israel where they are redeemed. 
And then from the Exodus to Solomon's temple, the dedication of Solomon's temple is 490 years. From Solomon's temple to the return to the land, the post-exilic period, which we are reading about in Isaiah, is 490 years. It's, a, it's this great redemptive cycle, this great year of jubilee. Well, then from where we are in Isaiah, now where we are in Isaiah as far as the writing returning to the land, to Jesus' 490 years. And that becomes very significant when we read Luke chapter 4 in just a moment. But in addition to the sabbatical year, you have the year of jubilee, and then you have these 490-year cycles in the nation of Israel. And when you hit the 490th year, it was a big deal. All the land would rest, all sold land would be restored, and all personal debt would be canceled. That's absolutely incredible. So here we are in Isaiah 61. When Isaiah's audience read Isaiah 61, they would automatically default in their thinking to Leviticus 25 and 26. Why am I here? Because we as a nation have disobeyed the Sabbath rest. And they know that after this 70-year cycle, they'll be restored. But they knew that what this anointed servant announced in Isaiah 61 was the year of Jubilee and part of a great Jubilee redemption cycle. So when they read Isaiah 61, they got excited. Now with that in mind, let's ask ourselves our second question. How is the second half of Isaiah structured? So when you look at the book of Isaiah, you have two large sections, Isaiah 1 through 35, and then 36 through 39, and then 40 through 66. And I, I broke it there because 36 through 39 is the story of Hezekiah, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. You then pick up in chapter 40. Chapter 40 through 66 has three sections. The section we are currently in is 56 through 66. And at the center of Isaiah 56 through 66 is Isaiah 61. That's where we are right now. And coupled with Isaiah 61 is Isaiah 60 and Isaiah 62. That's the larger literary context of our passage in Isaiah 61. And if we pause for a moment and we read all of Isaiah 60, 61, and 62, we would see and hear of this elevated and pronounced vocabulary to describe what God shall do in fulfilling his promise to his people. And we read graphic language. It's poetic language. There's piles of parallelism within the passage. And when they read this, where were they? Well, emotionally, economically, they were destitute. They were spent. They were burnt out. And yet they are promised a future that in the present they could not even begin to imagine. And somehow that future hope filled them in the present with perseverance. The picture did not and will not happen until Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes, he will announce this year of Jubilee. He will announce this great redemptive cycle when the Messiah comes. And Isaiah describes a world that cannot be achieved through the efforts of humanity. They could not bring what is described into play. Now, when we look at Isaiah 61, there are three sections within our chapter. Verses 1 through 3, you have this description of the anointed one and what the anointed one will do. And as a consequence of what he does for and to his people, he will be glorified. And then in verses 4 through 9, you have this rebuilding language. All of the cities are going to be restored. The people themselves will be called the priests of God. They will mediate in behalf of the mediator to the nations. And the nations will bring their wealth to the people. 
And then 10 and 11, you have this celebrative song. I will greatly rejoice, verse 10, in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Then it has the reason. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Very graphic, poetic language. And it speaks of a time when all things will be restored. They will all be what they should be. But when we come to Isaiah 61, we know that the reader is thinking Leviticus 25. He's thinking Leviticus 26. He's thinking, when I read this, the Messiah, the servant king, when he comes, the land will rest and be restored and all debt will be canceled when the Messiah comes. So the setting for Isaiah 61 is this year of Jubilee that the Messiah announces. Many suggest when you read Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Many suggest that this is perhaps a fifth servant song. We've already considered chapter 42, 49, 50, and 53. Those are consistently identified as the four servant songs inside of Isaiah. Well, some would suggest that Isaiah 61 is one of those songs as well. But the servant identifies himself as being anointed by the Spirit of Yahweh. The word for anointing is Messiah. Those original hearers would have identified the speaker as the one anointed, this Messiah. Now, the parallelism found in the passage seeks to overwhelm the reader. And, and you think of all that is stated, and we have a tendency to focus on minutia, and rather we need to step back and just see the overwhelming idea that exists inside the passage. And if, if you look at the passage, it says this is what he does. The Messiah is going to bring good news. The Messiah is going to bind up. The Messiah is going to liberate. He's going to free you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to give you the garlands of praise, gladness and praises, where once there was affliction, brokenheartedness, captivity, imprisonment, you are mourning, you're lying in ashes, you're mourning, and you're failing. That's where you are, and this is what he will do. He's going to give to us good news. He's going to bind up our brokenheartedness. He's going to liberate our captivity, us from our captivity. Here's who he is. Here's who we are. Here's what he will do. And here's what will happen because of what he does. That's what this, the first three verses tell us in Isaiah. The Messiah, the Messiah, when he comes, is going to do this. Again, think of the people to whom he writes. Think of the readers. They are thinking, why was I where I was? Because we disobeyed. But now that the Messiah has come, God's anointed, here's what he will do. They know affliction. They know brokenheartedness. They know captivity. They know imprisonment. They know what it means to mourn, to lie in ashes, to fail. But when the Messiah comes, he will correct all that. With the consequence, and notice how verse 3 ends. With the consequence that the people will be called oaks of righteousness and that the Messiah, that God, will be glorified. God's end game is for him to be glorified and part of him being glorified is the redemption of his people. When the Messiah comes, here's what we can expect him to do. He's going to bring the year of Jubilee and he will allow the land to rest. He will restore that land back to us and all of our debt will be canceled. When he comes, 
His people will be called the oaks of righteousness. When he comes, he himself will be glorified. Notice the second section, verses 4 through 9. Verses 4 through 9 speak to this idea of restoration. There's a great reversal of fortune. And again, if you think of where the people are and then what it describes for them, notice verse 4. These people whom God has redeemed, whom God has raised up and released, these people in their returning will build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. Here's what they are coming back to, and God's promising them when they come back to this, there'll be this great reversal of fortunes. Those people will be called, verse 6, the priests of the Lord. And think about what it's being said. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there will be this double portion, both of mercy and grace. God will withhold from them what they justly deserve, which is exile, and give to them what they don't deserve, which is restoration, rest, and being debt-free or redeemed. That's what we see. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, Yahweh, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them recompense. There are four things stated in verses 4 through 9. There will be the rebuilding of the cities. There will be the redeemed being identified as the priests of the Lord. They will be mediating in God's behalf to the nations. They will be bringing this to the nations. And the nations will bring their wealth to them. They will be sustained by the nations. There will no longer be any injustice. No matter how hard we try, we cannot correct the injustice that exists in our world. And it doesn't mean we should not seek justice. But we will never have it until Messiah comes. Only he will execute justice perfectly. When you read verse 9 then, it says, Their offspring shall be known among the nations, their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the offspring of the Lord, that God has blessed them. This is the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, that his offspring will be like the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the heavens in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. God is making good on his promise. When a Jew read this, being in exile, they knew why they were there. But they also knew that when Messiah came, this is what they could expect to happen. And where they were was no indication of where they would be. All that they have experienced in loss and absence and devastation shall be corrected. There will be this rebuilt kingdom for the people. And you have these four powerful statements made. Now notice then, verses 10 and 11. You have praise. If you knew that all that God promised would indeed come to pass, what would you say? You would say, amen. You would sing with joy and celebration. And that's how the chapter ends, verses 10 and 11. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord in light of what God has promised and knowing the faithfulness and certainty of God. I will greatly rejoice in Yahweh. My soul shall exalt in my God. And why? You have these three couplets then found in verses 10 and 11. Three graphic pictures. And the opposite is assumed based on where they are. 
God says to those who are naked and ashamed that one day they will be clothed with garments of salvation. You will be covered with the robes of righteousness. The clothing image harkens back to the garden. When Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, they clothed themselves. But the cloth they brought was the workings of their own hand. God would then offer up a substitutionary sacrifice in Genesis 3.21 and clothe them with the skins of an innocent animal. This is what God does. In exile, they were naked and ashamed. But God will bring them back and he will clothe them with the garments of his own righteousness. Whereas once they were naked, now they will be clothed. The second graphic picture in verse 10 says that as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. When you read the prophets, the nation of Israel is identified and accused of whoredom as being a prostitute, as being divorced, as being unrighteous. And that is contrasted with now married and joyful. They go from being single and isolated and alone to intimacy and companionship, married and joyful. And we read of the opposite, and that's why they're there in exile. And now they're being restored. The people of God shall marry the God of the people. You have this restoration, this graphic picture. And finally, verse 11, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. The design that God has for all of creation that one day would be covered with the knowledge of his glory. That the garden in Eden that we read of in Genesis 1 and 2 will one day cover the entire earth. That statement in verse 11 is making good on the promise. Whereas you once had a barren desert that was unproductive, one day the entire earth will sprout righteousness. The plants are sprouting righteousness. It will be a garden of renewed relationships. God will once again dwell among his people for their joy. We saw that earlier in chapter 60. The garden idea sat deeply in the soul of the nation. And that reference is being made once more in Isaiah 61 verse 11. So here we are naked and ashamed, but God will one day clothe us in righteousness. We are single, isolated, and alone, but one day we will be married and celebrating joyously with our spouse We have been barren and unproductive, but one day we will flourish and we will be sprouting up righteousness. We will be with God. When you read Isaiah 61, I call it happy vocabulary, happy language. In verse 1, there's good news, there's binding up, there's liberty, there's freedom. Those are all strong, positive, happy words. Comfort. Garland, gladness, praise, oaks of righteousness, glorified. You say those words with a smile. You don't say them frowning. Eat the wealth of nations. In their riches you will boast. You will have a double portion, both mercy and grace. Shout for joy over their portion. Everlasting joy will be theirs. Rejoice greatly. Exalt in my God. Clothed with garments of salvation. Wrapped in robes of righteousness. The Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This is what awaited them when Messiah came, when the anointed one came. When the anointed one came or comes, he will pronounce the year of Jubilee 
When the anointed one comes, the land will rest and be restored and all debt will be canceled. This is what the anointed one, the Messiah, will do. And it, it is what awaits them when the Messiah announces the great Jubilee redemption. In our study, we go from Leviticus chapters 25 and 26 to Isaiah 61, all the way to Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. And I'm going to turn there for us. And knowing, hopefully, the backdrop of Isaiah 61 and then the backdrop of Leviticus 25 and 26 will help us to understand the weight of what happens when Jesus came to Nazareth and attended the synagogue. When you consider Jesus, you recognize the linkage that exists between Leviticus 25 and 26, Isaiah 61, now Luke chapter 4. Let me read for us Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 19, uh, beginning in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, speaking of Jesus, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, which was not unusual in itself. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, they were either reading through the scroll of Isaiah, and this is where it just happened, happened to be, or Jesus took that scroll, and remember there's no chapter verse, and he being the author simply unrolled it, found where he wanted to read, and read it. He was brought the scroll, he took the scroll, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, and he's reading now Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, if I'm a Jew, and I've read Isaiah 61, and Isaiah 61 says that when Messiah comes, he will do what Isaiah 61.1 says. Has he yet done it? No. They had never yet experienced what Isaiah 61.1 pronounced or all of Isaiah 61, pronounced. He reads the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Okay, they're watching. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They will know the Messiah when the Messiah does Isaiah 61, and he did it. And it, it's interesting, if you read the rest of the, of the narrative, it says that all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth I tell you, there were more widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three days and six months. What happens then in the remainder of the chapter is that Jesus is saying, I've come as your Messiah, but you are going to reject me. I am bringing the nations, which is what has already been said in Isaiah 61. What is then their response? And it says in verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so they could throw him down off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. They knew what Jesus was pronouncing. They knew what Jesus was saying. 
Jesus was saying in that moment, I am Messiah. I am the one who is declaring to you the year of Jubilee. Here is what will happen. This was a year of rest for the land. Forgiving debts, freeing slaves, restoring relationships. This is what Isaiah is talking about. Again, the nation has never done this. Even now they say they keep the, year, the sabbatical rest, but they don't rest on the Sabbath, the sabbatical year. They don't do that. And the reason why they don't do that because is God is not giving them a double portion on the sixth year. They're outside of this cycle. This is what Isaiah is talking about. The poor who, whose lives have for so long been filled with nothing but bad news get the gift of good news. Those long held captive in dungeons and prisons of all kinds get promised their freedom. Those who for years have spent so many days dampening handkerchiefs with their tears get comforted. And pointed toward a day of smiles and laughter. Ashes get blown away to make way for glittering crowns. The drab clothing of mourning gets replaced with festive and colorful garments fit for a really great party. People who for too long have felt like useless dead sticks are promised that they will soon stand as tall and sturdy as the grandest oak tree. This is what the Messiah brings. And Jesus is the Messiah speaking in Isaiah 61.1. He identifies as the one who proclaims the favorable year of the Lord. And we all know that he doesn't proclaim the day of vengeance. We know that there are two parts to this. We know that there is an already, not yet. But does that message resonate with us where we are? Do we see ourselves as recipients of this good news? Are we the afflicted? Are we the brokenhearted? Are we those who have been held captive, imprisoned by our own appetites and addictions? Do we mourn? Are we sitting in ashes? And are we faint? If we are, then what should we do? Come to Jesus. Jesus Christ is the good news. As pressing as our physical needs seem to be, do we recognize the more that's contained in the text? Are we only longing for physical deliverance or do we see the spiritual needs? And if so, have we accepted Jesus? Jesus inaugurates, and, and that's how Luke 4 plays out, Jesus inaugurates the favorable day of the Lord. And yet the physical kingdom they thought of was very different than what Jesus brought. The physicality of this kingdom will only be known at his second coming. And remember, what did the Jews expect? They expected that when the Messiah came, Isaiah 61 would be fulfilled, but it wasn't. They were expecting for the Roman Empire, for those who held them in captivity to become subjugated to them, but it didn't happen. Why? Because you have a distinction between his first and second coming. We often speak of this already not yet dynamic of fulfillment, we, even as his people, are already priests of God who are to mediate this good news, as Isaiah 61 said, to the nations. This is what Jesus has done and will do. We stand in the gap between the already not yet, the already in his first coming, that kingdom described has been inaugurated. This is the Lord's favor. But at his second coming, which is the not yet, will be its consummation, the day of vengeance. We read of all of this, in the New Testament, we see the day of consummation, the day of vengeance in Revelation 19 through 22. We equally read it throughout the book of Isaiah. 
But just like those who precede us, before his coming, they believed in the promised Messiah. So also must we who follow his coming believe in the promised Messiah. Do we believe that Jesus is going to return? And our answer to that is yes. And we believe that when he comes, all the promises made shall find fulfillment. All of our heartache and loss must be placed into the loving and kind heart of God. All the brokenness present in our life and in the life of this world finds only one answer and solution, and it is in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Whatever has been their condition and whatever has been our condition shall be completely changed by the working of the Messiah. Are we afflicted? Are we brokenhearted? Are we captive by our failures? Are we imprisoned by our addictions and appetites? Are we mourning and are we faint? Then we must come to Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what the Messiah promises to us. Mark two fifteen through 17 says that the whole need not a physician. I came not to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. Will we come? Revelation twenty two seventeen. we already saw this in Isaiah 55. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Only Jesus can quench that thirst. The invitation that God gives to us is to believe, to come, to trust him, to do all that he has promised. He speaks to a nation that is in exile or returning to a land that has been devastated by absence and war. And he promises them that he will bind it all up. Do we believe that? That is the hope that we live right now as strangers and pilgrims in this place as citizens of another country. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Our Father, we look at the passage and we look at our world and we wonder how do these two things mesh? We as your people were a sinful, alienated nation. We were ashamed and isolated and barren, but God. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son to be our Savior. He has done for us what we could never have done for ourselves. He is the anointed one, and he has proclaimed liberty to those who find themselves in captivity. Thank you for making us something we could never have been on our own. I praise, Father, specifically for those who are afflicted, for those who are brokenhearted, for those who are captured, who are imprisoned, who mourn and faint. God, I would pray that the Spirit would show himself mighty to them right now, that right now they would in tangible ways, feel your presence. May they know and experience your moving. Father, as we go from this place, we will encounter people who are in captivity. We will encounter people who are brokenhearted. And we pray that we would speak to them the words of Jesus. And that, Father, in speaking the words of Jesus, they would come and be healed. Thank you, Father, for this time together as your people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.